Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to 1 Peter. First Peter, we're going to look at really one verse in particular, and almost, to be honest with you, one word in that verse, but we're going to expand on it because it's an important theme in First Peter as we finish up our series. We've been doing that all missions month. Let me read it for you. I'm going to read it in its context, though. First Peter chapter 3, verse 13 through 17. We've been here and looked at the whole paragraph earlier this month. We're going to just look at a little teeny piece and really specialize on it tonight. Let me read it for you. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, there's our phrase, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Have you ever needed a that day to make it through today. Let me explain what I mean. Um, in the Lord of the Rings, which I refer to a lot, Bilbo, Gandalf, and all the dwarves are trying to get to the Lonely Mountain. And it is a very dangerous and difficult journey. If you've ever watched the shows or read the books, um, it's a long journey. In fact, right before, but not even hardly into the, the uh, journey, they are attacked by orcs. If you know anything about it, dis- despicable monsters that want to kill you. That's probably about it. Um, and they barely make it away from the orcs. And they run. They go through the mountain pass so narrow they can hardly get through it. But they are exhausted. They are desperate for some rest. And they walk through this little path Gandalf leads, not knowing where it's going to end up. And it opens up and they see the city called Rivendell. And when they see it, it is the elves' city. It is absolutely beautiful. It's stunning. And they go there and they rest and they have their own rooms and they feed them all the food they could possibly. And at the end of just a few days of stay, they don't want to go because it's so refreshing, so beautiful. See, they needed that day to handle the two day of what they just went through. Now, see, a beautiful place for them to rest. That's what they needed. Have you ever needed that in your own life? Have you ever needed a that day you know is coming so that you can handle today? You might say it this way, modern English. If I know, if I know blank is coming, I could make it through another day. Have you ever said that? Fill in the blank for me. Some, I wrote down a bunch of them. But if you ever tell yourself this, uh, if, I could, if I know this is coming, I could make it through another day. What have you said before? How have you said that before? How have you filled in that blank? What would you say? Anybody? Yes. Uh, well, I was 18 years old, and there was a situation that I was in, and I said, knowing that my father was coming, I could make it through the time until he gets there. Okay. If my, I knew my father is coming, and if I know he is coming, then I can make it through another day until he gets there. Good. Yes. Justin. Yeah, that's one I have on here. And I put big vacation on here. 
right? If I know vacation's coming, I can keep doing my job a couple more days longer and all the long hours or taxing work, whatever it might be. What else? If I know this is coming, then I can make it today, that day today. What else would you say? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> wow, that is so practical. I know bedtime's coming and my kids will finally go to sleep. All right, yes, excellent. What I put on here, if I know the end of the semester is coming, if I know final exams are coming, I used to think, oh, I can just get through another paper, a few more classes, you know, the final exams are coming and then it'll be a break time, right? I also put on here, right, the wedding day, the wedding day's coming but there's a lot to do, right? And you're going to get real tired, get all that planning, all that stuff coming up to the wedding day. How about this? John Butler knows this and others recently, but a number of you. You can go through the last year if retirement is coming, right, John? Isn't retirement awesome? Right. Excellent. Yeah, so if you know retirement's coming, you can make those last few months. It'll go faster, right? Because you know it's coming. See, high hopes. High hopes we have that that day will help us live today, right? But there's a problem with it, isn't it? Not only have you experienced that, but I think you've experienced this. The problem is what? When that day is a dud. (laughs) Have you ever had that happen in your life? You you know you have. All of us have. It's called COVID, right? Now, over the last two plus years, remember this? Oh, you know what? I think it's been getting better and they're going to re- lose some of the restrictions, loosen some of the restrictions. And I think they're going to let us take our masks off and we don't have to stay in the house or whatever. And then you just about think it's going to happen. And off, oh, I can go on a few more days if I know it's going to be over. And then what happens? You're going to be putting your mask back on. Social distancing now will be six feet. And, and, and they, can't, they tell you that. And over and over again, Right. Back and forth. I mean, some countries had to go back to being quarantined in your house. I mean, you thought it, you needed that day. And that day, really, for the longest time, didn't come. And no more masks, no more social... And you said all that, but it never comes. And that day was dashed for you. It fell flat for you. But let me ask you another question. But what if that instinct, in and of itself, is not wrong? Even though in this world it fails us at times, even though when we want that day to help us through today or this day, and sometimes it falls flat. But what if that's a good principle? What if this is that there is a day, there is a that day that will change all other days and more? In fact, what if there is a that day that will change everything in your life? You know the old hymn in the hymn book? Here's what it sounds like when it's set to music. Great is thy faithfulness. The song reads, strength for today and what? Yeah. Bright hope for what? Do you see how the songwriter puts it together? Strength today. But what do you need? You, what is helping you keep that strength every day? Bright hope for tomorrow. Because you can only, you think sometimes, oh, I can be strong today, but I can't keep being this strong. Have you ever said to yourself, literally, I don't think I can go on another day? I've heard people say that in their marriage. I've heard people say that when they're fighting disease and sickness or problems or mounting and mounting or bills financially. I don't think I can do this another day. How do you do it? You have to have a bright hope 
for tomorrow. And I can tell you this based on scripture and the passages in 1 Peter in particular, that there is an ultimate day. There is an ultimate day when our salvation will be completed and our suffering will be over, which 1 Peter is all about. And Jesus will return and he will be reigning supreme. So let me say it to you succinctly. Hope is essential to our daily mission. And here's what Peter wants from us tonight. He wants us to hold on to that hope inside, listen, and give it away on the outside. He wants us to hold on to it on the inside and so that we can give it away on the outside. That's what I think 1 Peter 3, 15 is all about. But let me build up to it because Peter wants his believers as they go out into Babylon and, and do missions with God, as they try to reach an unsaved world that was very difficult as it is today in the 21st century, they had to have a hope. And let me tell you why. Because without this hope, you have no anchor for today. You have to have something when the that days of this world fall flat and they become duds. You have to have one that never falls flat. One that is sure. One that is the basis and the groundwork and the anchor of your soul. And Peter reiterates it a number of times leading up to our text. Let me read them for you. You can turn there with me if you like. 1 Peter 1.3 says, and this is how he starts the book. That's how important it is. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. This is the immediate result of your salvation. To a living hope. How do we have this living hope? Because through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, numerous times, read them all for yourselves, Peter can't stop talking about the fact that Jesus is alive. Now let me tell you this. It is one of the most profound but most simple truths, but we don't hang on to it like we should. Let me tell you this. The number one thing that you should hold on is an anchor for your soul when this day is so bad and you have a hard time looking to that day to help you. Can I tell you this? Always say this to yourself. Jesus is alive. And that's not just an Easter truth. That's an everyday truth. Because I can tell you this. Because he lives, John says, you will live also. There is nothing that you face in this world compares to the fact that you will live for eternity and death can't hold you. We sang about it tonight. Death has lost its grip on me. So everything, our greatest enemy is sin, hell, and death. They have all been defeated because Jesus is alive. Let me tell you this. All of your problems are lesser in weight. Lesser. Because the greatest victory has already been won. And Peter wants his readers to understand in a context of extreme suffering, as he calls them fiery trials, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, and sufferings of all different kinds of persecution and loss. He says, you have to have an anchor. Otherwise, you won't get through this day if you're not holding on to that day when you too will be resurrected. Another one, 1 Peter 1.13. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So ready? Our twofold day, this day and that day, has a twofold anchor. You know what it is? Jesus' resurrection 
and Jesus' revelation. Those two days help us with our two days. See, our todays and our tomorrows have reality to them and we can face anything because of the two realities. Jesus is alive and Jesus is coming back. Hopefully today. But resurrection and revelation both. So he says even later on, look at one more time before we get to our text, John 1, um, 1 Peter 1, 21, who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith what? And hope are in God. So let's take a look in our remaining few minutes together tonight. Let's take a look about how hope is at the heart of our mission and how that helps us to live today in light of that day. Two things, and that's it. We're going to have a coin and look at both sides of it. That's what we're doing tonight. Two things about our hope, and we're going to take it all from 1 Peter 3.15 if you're not in that little verse. Number one, And I want you to apply this to missions. Our hope is invisible. It's invisible. Look at the text with me, 315. But in your hearts, invisible. Honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope. Look at it. That is in you. Literally in the Greek, it is a in you hope emphatically in you. It's inside of you. See, our missional hope works this way from the inside out. Your hold on hope, having those truths of Jesus, his resurrection, if you don't have those as the basis of your life every single day, if you're not living in light of his coming and his resurrection, see, you have to have a hold on. It has to grip your life. It really has to grip your life. Romans 8, 24 and 25. Look it up sometime. It talks about hope and it says this. For who hopes for what he sees? And, and, and Paul says, you don't see hope because if you see hope, then it's already reality and it becomes sight. He says, but here's what biblical hope is. Believing that you cannot see It's invisible. And here's what Peter's telling his readers. In fact, Dennis loves this text, right? 1 Peter 1, you know, 7 and 8. Having not seen, you love. You and I every day live in this hope. You know why? Has anyone ever in this whole auditorium, has anyone ever seen Jesus? If you raise your hand, see me afterwards, we have problems. No one in this room, are you kidding me? Everyone in this room is trying to live for Jesus and be more committed to him, more conformed to him. You've never seen him. You don't even know what he looks like. Nothing. But yet you are completely devoted and you, do you not talk to him? Cuckoo. You talk to him, don't you? You pray to him. And you do it in your car. You sing to him and you don't care the people driving up to you what they even think. But you've never seen him. But look what it says. You don't just see him and say, I think he exists. No, having not seen what? You love him. That's how deep it goes. See, that's when hope gets inside of you, Romans says. 
So it's not like hoping that your candidate is going to win the election on November 8th. It's not like, Pastor Dave, so many times, I hope the Eagles win the Super Bowl this year. And pray for me, by the way, because if the Eagles win the Super Bowl and the Phillies win the World Series, we'll have to fire him because I won't be able to handle it. (laughs) It's not like, it's not like you say, I hope the Social Security will be there for me when I retire. Because you know what that, you're really saying all those, see, this is a hope that says, I may hope it happens, but I'm not banking on it. You're not banking. See, I hope, but I'm not really banking on it. Now, see, that's not the biblical hope. Here's what biblical hope is. I believe it, and I'm banking everything on it. That's the kind of hope. See, we're banking, banking everything on the fact that Jesus is alive and he's coming back. Although we've never seen him, but we have hope. Hope is banking everything on those two realities that we cannot see. Remember the two people, I think it was Cleopas and his wife. That's just my opinion. We're walking down the road. Jesus had died. It had been three days. And they are walking down the road to Emmaus. And Jesus walks up to them. And they don't even know it's him. And he has this conversation. And he asks them, why are you so sad? Do you remember what they said? Here's the first phrase. Jesus, we, you know, we thought it was the Messiah. And... He died, he crucified him, and it's been three days since then. And it says, but we were hoping that he was the one. We were hoping. See, they were hoping, oh, we banked on it, and now it hasn't happened. Can I tell you, that will never be you and me. We're not going to hope and go, oh, it just never, Jesus really wasn't. No, it's not it. Because Jesus was right there standing next to him. But listen, is that the life that we live though? Is that the, are we banking on Jesus and he's actually standing there right beside us, but it doesn't make any practical difference in the way we live our lives and how we serve him and how bold we are in our witness. Does it change anything? Think about how that kind of hope, biblical hope works in everyday life. Let me give you an example. When you truly believe someone's coming over for dinner, when you believe it, you're banking on it, what would you do? Well, ahead of time, what do you do? You do things. You go to the grocery store, and you get the vacuum cleaner out, and you start cleaning the house, and you do things in your closet looks awesome, although normally you couldn't even get anything in there. And what? And your kids, you have lectures with them. If you get out of line and you scream or you do anything, right? You tell your kids that. Why? Why? Because you really believe. So based on that hope, it changes you. It changes what you're doing. It makes you work. How about this? When you know the wedding is coming in only four months, what will you do? Well, you have to put time and you have to have money. And you have to have things and people do this and you have to start making calls and you have to start preparing and put things away. You do. How about when you know you're going to go on a big vacation? How many of you say, we're going to Hawaii and you wake up and say, hey, let's go tomorrow. Nobody says that. Do they? But if you really believe you're going to go and you really know you're going to go, you start planning, you start preparing and it changes your life Every day up until then, right? So let me ask you, how does hoping in Jesus 
change your life every day. It's invisible, I get it. So here's the answer. Peter tells us, and I want you to see this parallelism. He says, be ready to give a defense, an apologetic, to everyone who asks you of the hope that is in you. But he says before that, set apart the Lord always as holy, listen, in your hearts. Listen, watch. In your hearts, hope in you. You see the two in phrases? And they're both about things you can't see. You cannot see hope in you, and you cannot see whether Jesus is Lord in your heart. But they are the same thing. And so I put it this way. You know how you, you have, and you know how you know that you have a hope inside of you? Here's how you know. When Jesus Christ is specially set apart in your life, in your heart, as the Lord of everything. So if you want to have a hope that you're holding on to, and you want to have that hope make a difference in your life, including missions, you know how Jesus has to be Lord in your heart in everything. Set apart means not common. Set apart is special. That's why the translation is honor. Put him above it. Make him the most supreme. Here's how you hold on to your hope every day. Here's how you live hope. Invisible hope. You make him in your heart number one. It's not your calendar. It's not your priorities. It's not your money. It's not your agenda. It's not your kingdom. It's not your story. Set apart Jesus as partner. No. Set apart Jesus as friend. No. Set apart Jesus as Lord. Lord of your life. See, can I tell you that I believe in all my heart that you'll never convince other people that they, he should be Lord of their lives if he isn't Lord of yours. Because if he was, you'd live on mission differently. That's why, see, this kind of missional hope starts in here, in the invisible part that nobody else can see. The invisible hope in you starts in your heart when every day, Jesus, you be Lord. You tell me how to live your life. I want to ask questions about what your word says about that, how I should live my life every day. See, my hope stays strong when the Lord is strong in my heart. Three times in 1 Peter, verse, chapter 1, 22, chapter 3, and verse 4, in our text, he talks about what's going on invisibly in your heart. It's because hope is first an inside reality, and then it is an outside reality. Number two, last one, flip the coin over. See, our hope is invisible in your heart. It's in you. But it's also our hope is visible. He says in the text, verse 15 again, to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. When you have it in you, that hope, and Jesus is Lord of your heart in you, every day, here's what will happen. People will look at you and ask you why. What's the reason on the outside that you are so different? Because you know what? They can't see your hope on the inside. They can't see that Jesus is Lord in your heart. They can't see that. So basically, I wrote down this. Asking about our hope 
by other people is basically the same thing as asking us about Jesus. Because when they see you live a different life, they are, just think this to yourself, they're asking me about Jesus because the reason they're, they're looking at my life and it's different is all because of him. It's because I know he's alive, I know he's gonna come again, and that is the difference. And so I wrote down, Jesus becomes visible in our lives when our hope is all about him. We make our hope visible when we make Jesus visible, especially in our response to suffering. So he asked Pastor Walker, how do we make our hope in Jesus visible? How do I do that? If inside I have this hope and I'm holding on to it, then how would I make it visible? Because if it is visible and I hold on to it, how can I get others to hold on to it? He tells us, watch real carefully, by what you do and say and how you do what you say. Let me tell you what I mean. It's not just the what you're doing, how you do it. He says what you do. Now, all the text, we're not going to review it. Good behavior, good con- conduct. It's all in our text. The very next verse, he says, what about your good behavior? He says, what about your good conduct? And all throughout this whole First Peter, good works, good works, do good works. Because if you have hope in Jesus is Lord, here's how it's going to show itself. By a good behavior, a changed conduct, good works, helping people out. And they're going to see the difference in your life. They're going to see Jesus in you. My dad died three, almost four years ago. My sisters were just here. Some of you saw this past weekend with my McKinsey ceremony. And my sister Michelle came up to me and said, she goes, I watch you all the time on TV. And do you know what I think? I thought she was going to say, oh, I really like that sermon or something. She didn't say that. She said, you look like dad. And I said, okay, is that good? She said, well, you, facial expressions, even your tone of voice a little bit. She goes, it's a little scary. You know why? She looks at me and sees him. How about you? Do people ask questions about your faith because when they look at you, they see him? I wrote a question down that haunted me all week, and now I'm going to haunt you with it. And I didn't say that because Halloween. Let me ask it to you. Is it possible that the reason you're not being asked about your hope is because it's still invisible? Maybe they don't see Jesus because they don't see you doing anything like what he did. They don't see him in your words. They don't see him in the music you choose to listen to or the attitudes and responses you have when things don't go your way. They don't see you doing anything different perhaps than anybody else who doesn't claim to be a Christian. Interesting, the Bible says that they ask you for the, a reason. It's the no definite article a reason, and it's the word logos, it's, the, it's me. Give me a word or give me an account, your personal account, about why you have a different hope than I do. They want you, listen, you know what the Bible's really saying? They're not asking you for a Bible verse. Don't get me wrong, those are good. We're so quick to tell people, here's what the Bible says, and that is so good. But here's what Peter says. You know what people are looking for? They want to say, hey, give me a count. Look at your, why is your life like that? 
Why do you do or don't do that? So I wrote down a ton of them, and I don't have time to ask you all of them, so I'm just going to read them to you, and you think about them. What if someone came up to you and said, hey, what's the reason why you make a lot of money, but you don't have a new car? You have enough money, but I don't ever see you getting any stuff like that. You have money to do it, and you don't. Why? They're asking a reason. Why is your hope not in having satisfaction from those things? What would you say? How about this one? Why doesn't the death of your loved one completely wreck you like it did me? Why are you not broken completely? Hey, you're single, and you don't even talk about stuff like everybody else does. You know, you're single, and you're not even dating anyone, and you're not talking about all that kind of stuff and what you might want to do and all that kind of stuff. Why? Why aren't you like, why don't you involve yourself in those conversations? Why aren't you mad? You definitely should be angry. You got ripped off. It was all office politics, and that's why you didn't get the promotion. And you're just going to sit there and take that? I'd march right into their office. And they go on. And then they ask you, say, what are you doing? Why aren't you in there? Why in the world, why in the world would you ever forgive her? I don't even know all the things she said about you or did to you. I only know some of them, and I know there's more. But you, you really forgave her? Are you kidding? If it was me, I would never talk to her ever again. I'd say, take a hike. But not you. You want to talk to her about it and work it out and reconcile. What's wrong with you? And you would say, what? You don't yell, and you don't get all intense when you're presenting your beliefs. But instead, your hope, which is invisible, becomes visible, see? You don't get defensive about making a defense of the gospel. Why? Because you're different. See what Peter says? You give the people an answer and a reason of the hope that's in you. Now watch what he says. But you do it differently. It's not that just what you do differently. It's how you, you do it with meekness and respect. I mean, you're a person, you're giving the gospel, but you're listening to them, even though their view and opinion is all wrong and their beliefs are haywire. You're listening to them. You're trying to learn where they're coming from. And you show respect to them, even if you categorically disagree with them. And they say, wow, why? Everybody else I talk to, they want to fight about it and they want to get really, and they want to just turn around and leave. Not you. See, Peter says it matters not only what you do when you defend the faith, but how you do it. Here's what he says is at stake. So that when they revile you, he says, for what you are in Christ, then they will be ashamed. In Christ. See, because that's what hope is. Hope means, hey, I just not hope I go to heaven when I die. More than that, hope is what changes today because of that day. See, that day, the resurrection is a reality now. Did you know that? Here's what Jesus says. Here's what Peter says. I want you to be like Jesus. We're going to end with this song. I want to see Jesus. Them to see Jesus in me. That's what your hope is for. That the inside 
might come on the outside and people might be one to Jesus because of it. Think about the words you hear and ask yourself the questions that the song demands that you ask. Do people really see him in me? Let's watch it together.